Welcome, and thank you for joining Detroit Church's Greatest Adventure Bible Study Podcast, where we take a moment to get a little deeper into biblical understanding and ask those burning questions through engagement, teaching, facilitated discussion, and group interaction. You are more than welcome to follow along with us through this journey at DetroitChurch.com backslash trending and click on the Greatest Adventure Bible Study link. So, are there any questions from Sunday? Any questions from Sunday? Sister Kim? Yeah, you, you, know, you know the rules. This is a baby question. A baby question. Yeah. Those are the most dangerous. <laughs> you had mentioned um, you were going through your four words. Mm-hmm. Five. Kind of like redemptive or something to that effect. But anyway, you said a statement. You said that um, needs to be a spiritual person. Like when we go to try to restore oh, someone's okay. gentleness. Oh, okay. Right, right. Yes. And then you said. Um, That's what the scripture said. Yeah, not what I said. Right. Okay. <laughs> so then you said that um, spiritual assumes. Biblical um, maturity. Yes. So I didn't. Are you going to go into that some more tonight? What that, Probably what not. That? So, so that you, was my you want question. some clarification on that one, then? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good question. Um, so, if I if I ask you guys, what does it mean to be spiritual, and we start throwing the mic around the room, we may get, you know, even in a room full of at Bible study, we still may get 10, 15, 20 different answers on what it means to be spiritual, from you know being in the presence of God, experiencing His presence to you know, knowing all 66 books of the Bible. I mean, you, you know, and everything in between, right? You, you know, and so uh, without jumping over that cliff on a Sunday morning message and diving into the nature of spirituality, what does it fully mean? Um, you, you know, one of the things that we have to know that it means to be spiritual in a biblical sense is to be able to Uh, at least have an accurate understanding of the scriptures. Nobody has a comprehensive understanding of the scriptures, but we can have uh, a decent understanding of the scriptures. And certainly of the, 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 uh, what the Hebrew writer would say, the elementary things, right? You you know, and so we better make sure we understand uh, the process of redemption and salvation. You you know, I mean, to to name just just a a few things, right? And so when Paul says it, Sure enough, it's a certain level of maturity in what I would probably say are the spiritual disciplines, a certain level of maturity uh, in the exercise of the fruit of the Spirit. All right, we haven't gotten there yet. We're going to get there. So I think Paul will give us, as we go through Galatians, what he means when he says, let those who are spiritual restore such a one, right? Because... I'm not saying check off your, your list, okay? I do know all 66 books of the Bible. I've read three of them, you, you, you know, and, and all of that. And, we, and that's the stuff that we're tempted to do when we, uh, dare I say, step out there and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty spiritually mature, right? It's really a scary question. Uh, you, you, you know, I mean, uh, some of us would say, it's better if somebody else says, that's a really spiritually mature person, because you almost feel like if I say I'm a spiritually mature person, I'm not that spiritually mature, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, man, scriptures say, OK, be careful. You know, don't think too highly of yourself. Like, oh, dare I say, you, you know, that I'm even spiritually mature or just do I 
do I attempt to do what the scriptures tell me to do and be faithful uh, in my walk and just show spiritual maturity? It's, a, it's much better shown than stated. All right. Uh, Pastor Sonny, you want to you get, get, get your warm up on? I know you. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to keep the mic away from you then. I don't have much. Uh, I do have another question. <laughs> I have a question non related, but it did spark a thought to your question, Kimberly. Paul says in uh, Romans 8 that um, as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Sons of God. Mm hmm. You know, Paul deals with the sonship as well in Galatians chapter 4, which we're going to, you know, we'll get to in a couple weeks. And so without overcomplicating it, um, and I probably would say, like, a spiritual person is one who has the things of the spirit in mind. Now, not, not, and not to quantify it like, you know, this many hours out, out the day, I'm thinking, you know, but there are things that aren't sinful. They're just carnal. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm tired. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, you know, but, but to be spiritually minded, I think, is to have the things of the spirit in mind. It's, I don't think it's that, you know, let's not make it deeper than it needs to be. I don't know. That's kind of what mm. my thought is. So um, I do have another question. Yes, this sir. is not as a pastor. This is just as a, as a student. Um, I really appreciated the, you drawing out the, the person the the the, uh, the pronouns. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, my mind wants to go like to Greek, you know, case and number, you know. So I never, I, I did, I never saw that in the distinction that Paul, you know, kind of makes there in his writing. Um, and so, just as someone who is studying, can you talk about like how you got there? I mean, were you clued in on the commentary? Is, is that something the Spirit of God just brought, or is that just like training? How did you how did you discover that? Um, great question, bro. Um, and I won't take any 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 credit for being particularly enlightened. I did not get it from a commentary. Um, I, I I practice um, I practice observation. You you know I, I do. I, I believe, and uh, you know maybe next year we'll do uh, when we kick it off. We'll do a how to study the Bible uh, series. Got some curriculum for that already in the can, but um, before you ever get to saying what does the Bible mean, or even how does it work in my life, uh, your, your first major task, and I will argue the most important task in your Bible study is to be good observers, all right, because everything starts there. I mean, you can't say what does it mean if you don't even see it, right, you, you know, and so um, be, because I've trained myself, you know, um, to, to just keep reading and keep looking and keep looking, you know. Uh, and, no, and this funny part about it is no matter how much you keep looking, you, you, you'll come back next year and look again and be like, oh, how did I miss that, you, you know. Um, and so, so, I mean, the Holy Spirit takes us from grace to grace. So some stuff you can't see because you're not ready to see it. Some stuff, now I don't, I can't do nothing about that, all right? That's the Holy Spirit's maturation process. But I don't ever want it to be, I couldn't see it because I didn't look closely enough. I didn't see it because I just read through it one time, thought I knew what I was doing, ran straight to somebody's commentary and got what they had to say about it, came in here and dropped that package off to y'all, you know, like I was doing something, you, you know. Uh, and so my prayer is always, Lord, open my eyes, help me, help me see, 
right? You, you know, uh, you, you know, and so as I'm, and then uh, for me, as I'm asking questions at a text, like, you, you know, okay, Paul, I know you didn't really want to punch him in the face, you, you, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm hearing the tone shift, right? And, you know, and that, that's not a skill you possess yet. Uh, uh, a, pray about it, and B, just keep reading your scriptures over and over and over again. Uh, you will begin to start to hear the shifts and see the shadows uh, and the nuances of it. I mean, it's almost an impossibility for it not to happen uh, if you are truly a Christian, all right? And I don't say that in any kind of a denigrative way. I'm saying the Spirit of God is engaged in the process of bringing insight and illumination to his people as they read, right? And so he's always on his job. And so if I engage myself in the process of getting into his word, he is going to do what he promised. Jesus promised, you know, the Holy Spirit would give you, he's going to teach you some things, right? You, you know, and so I, I count on that, you, you know, so I'm praying, Lord, you know, show me. I mean, you know, I've read through Galatians a million times before, never preached this passage before, so show me. You, you know, and he's, he's faithful to that process, you, you know. So, I mean, I don't want you to think anything special about me or anybody, any preacher, you know, because, I mean, preachers will get, good preachers will get, oh, man, I never saw that like that before. Oh, you really, you know, you brought that. And it feels good to the flesh. You know, your ego get a few strokes, and, you know, and hopefully it's just stop right there. I'm saying praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. I'm running out of here before any of that catch up with me because I don't want none of it to stick on me. Right. You, you, you know, uh, and we just thank God for what he does. I mean, he give, he's given gifts to the body for the edification of the body. Uh, and he, if he's faithful in what he does, then the process will work and we'll all grow. You, you know, but we all have to do our part in the growth process. And so uh, that, that's that's the best I can give you on that one, bro. Just born of the years and the disciplines that he's given me and. He opened my eyes to it, you know. All right, any others? Any others? Wow, this, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm scared because you know this is the, these questions. This we never. This is the first time y'all have had questions from Sunday. All right, so make a note, Mother. Mine is not a question. Uh, it was concerning spirituality. What is a spiritual person? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that. Sometimes you can be spiritual in one area, but not another. Okay. Um, for instance, um, we have women that are trained to help other women who come forward in church. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this particular Sunday, this uh, young lady came to me. I know the biblical answers, but the Holy Spirit said, go get... Um, Somebody else. Yes. And, and I, she told me what she was dealing with. And you have to know yourself, too, if you can be prejudiced in mm -hmm. an area. Mm -hmm. and, I, and so I went and got this person, and it was amazing how the other person just brought. But she wasn't even equipped in a lot of other biblical right, areas. Right, right, right. But the Lord but in wanted this one to spot. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. She knew this. And, and the girl's heart just was rent, and, mm -hmm. and she was helped with her healing. Yeah. So I, and, and when you talk about spiritual, 
I think I was spiritual in that. The Holy Spirit told me, nope, this is not the one you deal with for this subject. Right. Go get this other individual. I would agree. But I would also say that because the Holy Spirit called that person off the bench for that moment does not of necessity make them spiritual. They they were just used by God in that moment. moment, Right, right. So, you know. But the scripture said you are a spiritual restorer, and that's exactly Right, so he used you to, you to to get somebody else to be the the person for that yeah. job in the exactly. moment. But now when that same sister come back to you and say, Sister Andrina, you know, man, wow, I've never been used by God like that. I'm going to go print out some business cards because I really no. feel like I've been called to no. deliverance ministry no. now. No. I mean, you, you know, no. uh, yeah, you say, hold on, hold on, you she ain't even been to Sunday school that. yet. You, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, she so you would not do that. Right. Well, I'm just saying. You're over right? ex- oh, there Yes, yes. You're I exaggerating, <laughs> being now, now listen, you know like I do. Uh and all y'all know like I do. All it takes is one good experience with God using you, and you can go crazy with that thing. Have a high moment in church. You you know, you can you can go crazy with it. And it, it takes spiritual maturity. Not to go crazy with it, because all of us would be tempted. You know, I mean, let God do something. I mean, you, you know, we're going to get into the lesson. But one time, the Lord prompted me to bring a brother up from the back who sat in the back of the church. You may remember this. He was in a, a wheelchair for years, knew him. You know, wonderful brother. And, and, and I had this burden in the preparation of my sermon, this burden that God placed on me to, at the end of my sermon to have this brother, have this brother brought up to the front of the church, you know, so we could pray for him. Uh, you know, and I'm praying. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you know how you say, you really praying? I'm really praying, right? You, you know, like, okay. Uh, now, I didn't make this man no promises because I didn't know what God was going to do. All I knew was my instructions were pray for this brother. So we prayed, and then nothing happened. You know, and life went on, you, you, you know. Uh, but I can only imagine if, if the brother had leaped up out of his chair and started running around the church, right? You, you know, y'all might, I, I might have lost my mind. Right, I might have went and got the business cards, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, I wouldn't be here right now because the Lord was going to have to strike me down because I might have lost my mind had he let me do that that far back ago. Now, I've also had experiences where God has let me lay my hands on somebody and they got some relief or healing in the area. So I've struck out, I've hit home run, right? And, and what I'm clear on is that it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> right, right. So I got just enough negative experience to know you ain't special. You still a knucklehead from the east side. I just called you to do something. I wanted to see if you was going to do it. You, you know, and over here, you didn't think nothing was going to happen, and something happened. Right, you, you know, so that's, I think we all have to be, get, get that gr- level of groundedness. Not that, again, I'm anybody special, because he can use any of us to do anything that he purposes to do. Right, I mean, from, remember, donkey spoke. I mean, you know, that wasn't a special donkey. Well, you know, he didn't go to the best schools, right? right? So, <laughs> you know, so that, that could be any of us. And so we all have to approach spirit, being spiritual with a, a high degree of humility. And I think that's probably the, the foundation of being spiritual and obedience and trying to hear from God, right? Now, we're going to go ahead and, and dive in. Uh, you guys, did praise the Lord, everybody's uh, getting on in here. Uh, we, we said three questions, so that was three questions from, from Sunday and before. Uh, we are going to do our very best to get from 
verses 11 through 21. I do hope, again, that you guys, if you weren't here on Sunday, that you get a chance to look at it, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the message. It is up on the website. Uh, in the construction of this, I purposely, uh, my, my preparation process for this, for this week, if you want to call it that, I prepared the Bible study before I prepared the sermon, right? Because the Bible study, for me, is a tougher thing to prepare than a sermon, right? Uh, it takes a whole lot more work to prepare the Bible study because I literally go through every word in the text, right? You, you know, in, in the doing that. The sermon is, is structured. It has, you know, some themes or what have you. And so uh, it's a, it's a one-two part. I'm not going to repeat what I said on Sunday, all right? Now, that structure that I gave you guys on Sunday to overlay and help understand the text. I won't use any of that tonight. There may be, as the scriptures take us through, uh, you know, you'll see some of the things that, okay, yeah, I get that, right? You know, but we want to, my purpose for tonight is for us to dive a little bit deeper than I could go on Sunday. So you guys with me? Now, when we were last here, Paul began his public admonishment of Peter concerning his hypocritical and gospel-endangering conduct. All right. As we go on to the next verse, Paul continues his statement to Peter and those in attendance. Uh, as I told you on Sunday, his tone softens, though. And I believe as he makes one of the most complete and compelling arguments for justification by faith in Christ alone that we see anywhere in the Bible outside of Romans. Right. His argument goes through to the conclusion of this chapter. So that's our goal for tonight, then to make it to the end of the chapter. Now. But before we dive in, I want to make sure that we understand exactly what Paul is up to and what he's not up to, right? I'm going to give you what he's not up to first. What he's not up to is just trying to get Peter and these other guys told. He's not trying to set them straight, right? He's not trying to make himself look good and make them look bad, conversely. That is not what Paul is up to. He's not trying to wax philosophical just to be deep. We've seen those folks who, uh, you know, hang out too much at coffee shops and go and read poetry and snap fingers and just try to sound deep, right? Uh, we've seen that's not what Paul is up to. And if you're a coffee shop, poetry, snap finger type of person, that was not me throwing shade at you, right? But you do know those people, uh, you know. Um, what he is doing is reminding Peter and his audience of why what he's about to say is absolutely true that there cannot be any other way for them, him, or anybody else. There is no way for them, him, or anybody else. All right, and that, that's what he's trying to persuade both Peter, remind Peter and persuade all these others that there are not alternate ways to accomplish this goal of justification. All right, there are not alternate ways. So, with that being said, let's dive on into verse 15. Again, notice what it says here. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. The word birth here means physical origin. All right. Uh, he says, we're, this is, you know, we're, we're, we were born this way. We were born into this group. All right. Uh, so, so that's to say he's not a proselyte. All right. They didn't get converted into Judaism. They were born into it just like uh, you may have been born into a church context. I was born into the church. So a member from birth, not saved from birth, just a church member from birth. Got saved later. Right. You, you know, so they were Jewish by birth. He says uh, and he, he the contrast that he makes is 
we are not uh, Gentile sinners, right? Uh, sinners here is used in the sense of heathen, all right? The Jews had a uh, pejorative or denigrating term for Gentiles. They were heathens, right? And that's a word we still use uh, in, in, our, in our day and age, uh, heathens. Uh, I've been guilty of calling somebody a heathen a time or two. All right. Now, the, the question is, why does Paul say this? I'm glad you asked this question. He, he makes this simple statement because uh, in it is loaded all that comes with being Jewish. May gave us a lot of cultural uh, nuance last week and really uh, informed us all the way down and, you know, not having a cheeseburger. I never thought about that. You can't get a cheeseburger in Israel, right? You, you know, that, that's pretty heavy, but it makes perfect sense because it would violate, you, you know, violate the law, right? And, and so in this one simple statement, we're Gentile, we're Jewish by birth, we're not Gentile sinners, he brings the whole ball of wax uh, in to, the, to his audience, right? They are the chosen people, handpicked by God, given his oracles, taught his ways, recipients uh, of the promises. All right, this is all that comes with being Jewish, right? And, and they knew this, right? The Gentiles have none of these elements in their identity, right? So take a quick look, turn in your Bibles. Uh, you beat me there, somebody read that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12. And while y'all do that, somebody find me some tissue. Thank you, baby. So, as Paul talks to the Ephesian believers, which is a mixed church, all right, uh, he reminds his Gentile audience that you didn't have all this stuff. That's not part of your, your resume, your pedigree, as it were, right? Uh, you, you know, now in the Ephesians context, he's going to say, but now, right? So there's a transition that he makes uh, in the minds of the Gentile believers, it says, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope in the world. This is who you were, Gentile heathen sinners, right, right, you, you know, who became uh, Gentile Christians. And when you became Gentile Christians, that transported you over into, not Judaism, over into having these promises, over into being a people chosen by God, Right over into being part of God's family, not the commonwealth of Israel, but uh, this new body that's, being, that, that, that's been created, this body called the church, right? This is what uh, Paul would tell to the Gentiles and reminding them and establishing their true identity. So it would transcend their national identity or their ethnic identity or their uh, affiliative identity, whoever they happen to be affiliated with. Was that a stretch or a hand up? Okay, okay, all right. So Paul says to Peter, this is who we are and this is what we have, and yet we've made a discovery. With, with all of that wonderful pedigree and lineage, we've made this, this discovery about the law, right? Now, before we go on and we get too deep, I want to prepare you guys by giving you a key Bible study tip 
that we will employ tonight, right? Now, this one is not in your toolkit. So open your toolkit because you may need to add this one to your toolkit, right? Uh, I forget which page it was. Uh, I was supposed to take a quick look at that. We got some tips in here. Uh, Meg, you know what page that is? All right. Right in the middle. Page 13. No, page 11. All right. Things to do when studying scripture. All right. That's a, uh, we give you guys some, some good tips there. So uh, the tip I'm going to give you again is not on this page. What is that tip? Well, the tip is, and you want to write this down, look for things that are repeated. Look for things that are repeated. Right? This is, this is a great Bible study tip. It's one of the things that will help you notice things. And so Pastor Sonny asked me the question earlier, you know, how did I know? Well, I kept seeing we. You, you know, and if, you, uh, if you're, me, I'm, I'm a visual person. I learn visually, so I spot things. You know, I spot things. It's just, just how guys wired me up. Uh, but if you're more of an auditory person, I suggest to you as you do your Bible study that you at least listen to it one time. Don't just read your text because if your brain is more audio, listen to it. You will, you will be surprised at how much you will pick up from hearing it if that is how you are wired, right? Uh, now, so, so repetition is used extensively in Scripture, and it is one of the ways that we gauge emphasis and importance, right? It's one of the ways that we gauge, right, emphasis and importance. Now, we happen to be in the midst of a discussion, all right, uh, in the context of this, uh, this uh, passage here. And in this discussion, again, repetition is used. And the discussion is about an essential doctrine of the faith. And so let's see how Paul deals with it. Go back to your text if you haven't already gone back to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to go into verse 16. Notice what it says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, he says in verse 16. Now, there's a lot going on in verse 16 here. And the very first word that is of importance is the word no. Because he jumps right out the gate and says, we know, right? Now, Paul's talking to Peter, uh, you know, particularly, uh, but, but now he's talking to us. And so he, Paul says, we know. Now, what does this mean? Th this particular word, no, and this is one of those words you always got to look up. Uh, you know, when you look it up, you're going to see a whole page of definition there. and You'll be like, my goodness, okay, it can't mean all of that. How do I know what it means right here? And you'll have to start really diving into some context, right? But here... Uh, is in a more universal way, it means to perceive or to notice or to discern, right? Uh, and so he says, we, we, we notice, we perceive, we discern. What is it that we know? That a person is not justified. Now, a person, who are you talking about? Are you talking about any particular person, people in general, anybody? Uh, Paul, here he speaks to this word person. It means a human being, whether male or female, all right? Uh, and it speaks of being, of what being said uh, holding true for every person, right? And so this is not a Jewish thing. This is not a Gentile thing. This is a human thing. So, so when he says we know, he's saying we know on behalf of the whole species that a person cannot be justified by works of the law. 
Now, that's a pretty big statement right there to just all of a sudden be speaking on behalf of all humanity, right? Well, but what does this word justified mean? It means to, to judge or to declare, to pronounce righteous and therefore acceptable, right? People have been trying to figure out how to be acceptable to God since we got kicked out the garden, right? Evicted from the garden. How can I get back in good step with God, right? You, you know, and books have been written and all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you go Google it, uh, you, you know, you probably get, a, you know, two, three million different comments on, on what it's going to take to be righteous, including the ones that said don't even worry about being righteous because who are they to judge, right? You, you know, uh, right. So you, you get all of that, right? Uh, he says, by works of the law, works here, this word works literally means works demanded by and agreeing with the law, right? So we know that a person is not justified by the, this, this list of things which demand something, all right? And this list of things come from the law. Now, the word law, simple in English, three letters, right? But it's also one of those words, as you do your word study, you got to look up all the time. And actually, it has about five different usages, all right, throughout Scripture, right? Uh, you know, so you really got to... Um, try to pin it down. Now, in this particular instance, it speaks of the Mosaic law, right? Uh, and referring to the context is either the whole shot or uh, elements of its contents, right? And so think about it in our context today. You know, somebody says, uh, you broke the law. Now, do they mean that I drove 56 and a 55 or do they mean I, I broke every part of the entire penal code, Right. Uh, both of them would be a breakage of the law, but one is very narrow in focus. One is larger in focus. Now, in a biblical sense, so we're not lost uh, in this to break an element of the law is to break the whole thing. Which is why nobody could do the whole law, because as soon as you messed up in one point of it, the whole thing came out, out to get you, right? So it was always an all or nothing prospect, which is really quite depressing and should lead one to ask the question, well, I won't get ahead of myself, all right? I won't start preaching. Let's, let's, stay, let's stay focused because let, let's pause here for a, a moment and address the elephant in the room. I don't know if you knew it, but there's an elephant in the room, right? Paul makes a fairly large assumption about Peter in particular and about his audience both then and now in general. He says that we know this truth already about the limits of the law's capability, right? He says we know this. And so how, how can he make such a statement? That's an audacious statement to make that we know how the law works and what its limits are, what its capabilities are. How could Paul make that statement? I understand how he can make it about Peter. But the Holy Spirit allowed this thing to be inscripturated and then transported you know, these 2,000 years later for you and I to read it, right? And so, so the assumption is still that as we read it, and, we, and he says and we know, you know, Christians sitting in a random church in a random city in a random country reading this for the first time or the 50th time, uh, that, that, that the assumption is still that, that you know that the law uh, has limits and capability, right? And, and that it only extends so far. Paul, how could you, how could you make such a statement? Uh, he can make such a statement because that's what Jesus and the Father has said previously. And so, let's look at a few verses. 
Somebody turn to the most famous book, uh, famous verse in the Bible. Who knows what it is? John 3, 16, but you're going to also read 17 and 18, right? So John 3, 16 through 18, somebody else turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Just those, and then somebody else for the trifecta's sake, turn to Genesis chapter 15. We take it all the way back, all right, verse 6. So those three verses, John chapter 3, verses 16 18, Acts chapter 2, verse 21, and Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Somebody raise your hand so Meg can come uh, let you read John 3, 16 18. Who's got that? Now, yeah, that was the first one I gave you. Somebody should be there. Uh, okay, Pastor Sonny said he's there. All right, all right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, keep it going. We've got Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Sister Debbie here. All right. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. All right. And then who uh, had trouble finding Genesis? All right. We're going to let this sister back here do that. You had your turn, mother. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. All right, so uh, you've read these three. What did you observe in all these verses? What did you observe in all these verses? I heard somebody say believe, right? Uh, did you happen to see any mention of obeying the law, any, any of those verses, right? You never saw once where Jesus said, if you do the law, you will be saved. All right, made right, or any such words with that meaning. What you saw was faith, this belief or faith, and we'll look at those, both of those words a little later, preceding some act by God to save us, right? This is what we see all the way back to, from Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, all right, to Jesus saying it to, uh, you know, Acts 15, I don't know if that's Paul or Peter, somebody saying it, you know, at that point in time. Uh, this never, never, did, did we see, obey the law, and you'll be in with God? We, we, we've not seen that, right? Now, go back to Galatians right quick. All right, we're still in, in verse 16. Notice what he continues to say. So, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. We know that because we heard it from Jesus. We've been reading the Torah. We saw it in Genesis. All right, we, we've heard it from the apostles uh, in Acts that they preached, right? We've, so, we've heard it over and over again. He goes on to say, but, so you cannot say by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also believed in Christ Jesus. So, so faith, we got faith and believe, right? You got both of these words right here jammed together, all right? Uh, faith, what does it mean, all right? Somebody just throw it out. Let me see if we'll see. That, that's, 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 that's me giving you a layup. Let me see if y'all can, can hit the layup, all right? Or are y'all scared? All right, trust. He says trust, okay. All right, is that good enough for you guys? Trust. Like, you know, you trust the stock market. So you have faith, you, you know, you trust your, your you know, what? anybody else? Here? Go back to 
All right, oh, she, she got biblical, she's spiritual, watch out now. Right, right, she dropped the scripture on y'all. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? All right, Did I, any, any others? All right, what, what, what faith is, what faith is, sis? Confidence, confidence, all right. So we got, we got trust, we got confidence, we got hope in what's not seen, right? You, you know, and all that sounds great, uh, you know, especially here in a, in, a, in a church context, we're in Bible study. Uh, but can I take those definitions and go sit comfortably in my mosque? No. Well, sure I can. None of you guys said what I had to have faith in. I can hope in the mosque. I can believe in what I can't see in the mosque. I can trust in the mosque. Right? I, I can do all those things. Right? As a matter of fact, I can be an atheist and believe in no God and I can still have hope. I mean, I, I hope the world, you know, it turns out to be a better place. I, I trust in, in my government to make it happen. Right? Right? I, I, I believe it even though I can't see it. Right? I don't have to have a belief in a deity to have uh, faith. Which is why we got to be ever so careful because faith is one of those words that we can, we're real comfortable. It's like that old blanket. You just throw it on. All right, never bother to see if it's even dirty anymore. Scared to watch it, right? You, you know, so, so we got to be careful. And, and th- th- our care in that takes faith over to the next word, right? Now, uh, the word in Greek, and I'll give you this one, is pistis, right? And it means, in, in reference to Christ, it denotes a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we eternal, obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God, right? And so it's not a random generalized belief or a random generalized trust or hope, right? It has an object. And as soon as I put an object behind faith, it goes into the word belief, right? Now, faith is the noun, believed is the verb, right? So you get pistis is the noun for faith, pisteuo, is the verb, in, you know, so you get noun and verb, right? Because he says here, by, by faith we believed, all right? Uh, we have also believed. And, and the word believe, guess what it means? To have faith directed unto, right? So all of you evidence faith tonight when you came in. Old school illustration, right? Because not a one of you came in this church and did this. Now, why did none of you do that? Because you had faith, and that faith prompted you into an unconscious action where you just plopped on down, right? Didn't bother to check the structural integrity of this chair. Not a one of you. Praise God, it, they held up. They've been holding up every week, right? Right? And, and so, faith, you can walk in here and have faith. I, you know, I really do believe all these chairs can hold my weight. And I just stand right here. Hands in my pocket. I, I do. I, I am sincere in my belief that these chairs can all hold my weight. But have I demonstrated it? Has it, has it prompted any action on my part? Or is it just lip service as long as I stand here? Just lip service. You have no proof that I believe that this chair can hold my weight until I actually sit on it. Then you know that I believe what I said. I wonder if anybody has proof of our faith in Christ. That's a great topic for a sermon. 
that I'm not going to preach right now. Takes a lot of self-control to not preach sometime. Right, Pastor Sonny? Amen, amen. Now, now that we read through the verse, I can tell you that there are, in my observations, eight key words or phrases contained in verse 16. Repetition will give you most of them. So let's see what y'all see, right? We're going to do this in a family feud style. I'm not going to pitch y'all against each other. It's y'all against the standard, right? I'm going to give you guys three strikes to populate my list of eight keywords in verse 16, right? Uh, you, you know, and then we're going to have you removed from service if you get to the three strikes. Just kidding, just, just kidding, just kidding, right? Uh, this is an observational exercise if you didn't know, right? And so, now that we did all that, let's see what you guys see. There are, again, eight key words, all right? And they're going to pop up on the screen. Not the key words, I'm not giving you all that. All right, the scripture is there, right? But we put, now, because some of you guys are looking at different translations, to make it fair, all right? That is the English Standard Version, right? And so my list is based on the English Standard Version to make sure we're all looking at the same words, right? So, what say you, all right? Ma, you got one word, just one. Don't be trying to give me the whole list. Justified. She says justified. All right. Wish we had sound effects. You got a strike button up there? All right. Uh, all right. That, I think that's on the list. Okay. Keep going. Works. She says works. Okay. All right. Oh, so y'all saying Jesus Christ? Okay. Okay. Because you see that over and over again. All right. Okay. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you that one. I don't remember if it was on my list because it might have been just two. Too easy, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna I'm you can't you can't take Jesus out. You're right, you can't take Jesus out. So I'm gonna give you that one. I'll probably go to hell if I take that off the list, right? All right, so I'll give you that one, right? What, what else we got? So law, somebody said you said birth, birth, okay, okay. Now that's in verse 15, we're in verse 16. All right. They ain't got the number? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So stay, stay in verse 16. All right, so I've heard y'all say law. I've heard y'all say Jesus Christ. I've heard justified. All right, Pastor Sonny? Faith? Okay, somebody, oh, somebody said faith? Okay, okay, that, that's four. Somebody said I'm not giving y'all we. All right, I gave y'all we on Sunday. You know, I'm not giving you we. Debbie? Works? Oh, okay, somebody did say works. Okay, okay. So what is that, five or six? I'm supposed to be keeping count. My bad, you know. <laughs> All right, it's either five or six. That's five. Okay, that's what I got made for. You saying no? K N O W? All right, K N O W. Hmm. Hmm. That's one strike. All right. All right. Okay. So you guys said faith. Works, uh, law, justified, and, and Jesus Christ. Right, right? Believed. All right, all right. I can't, it, it took y'all five to get believed. I'm just hurt right now. Right? All right. We, 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 got, we got believed. Okay, okay. So that's six. N-O-T. N-O-T. 
Mm, nope. Eh. Don't you hate Family Feud? Because it'd be like, that's a good word. It should be there. 100 people surveyed. It just didn't make the list. This is one person surveyed. It didn't make the list. That's two strikes. Law? Did y'all say law already? Okay, so, so yeah, law was in there. We got six. By as in B, B-Y? Uh, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. All right, so let me, let me, let me, uh, uh, great job, by the way. Great, great job, by the way. So, uh, you guys said no, right? All right, you said, ju- you said justified. Somebody said works, right? You said law. You said believe. Uh, you had faith, right? Uh, Jesus Christ, and we're missing one. Uh, let me not, let me not, because uh, I forgot to write the list. This is, this is, this is really good when I did it. <laughs> it's in my head. <laughs> Wait, I sent you the list. Did I send you the list? I didn't send you the list. Man, this is a really great exercise to, to blow it on. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Hold, let, me, let me look at it again. Okay, well, uh, justified works, law, faith. Y'all said faith and believe, right? Okay, uh, Jesus Christ works, law. Are we counting right? That seems like it's it. We know. Did, did I give you no? I gave you a strike on no, didn't I? It, okay, I might have to take that strike back. It is no. All right, after further review, the play stands. Right, right. So it's okay, okay. So we got no there. All right, all right. Uh, justified works the law through faith, Jesus Christ. Believe, justified, faith, Christ. Did y'all, y'all say it works, right? Okay, okay. Uh, because by works in the law. Is it seven? Did I admit, did I admit, maybe it was seven. I think y'all got them all. I think y'all got them all. All right. Y'all got me looking for words now. All right. I think, I think that was it. Now, I'm a, you know what? Next week, if I find my eighth word, I'm coming back in here. All right. Because I'm pretty sure that there's an eighth word. But right now, I don't want to waste too much time on it. Right? Huh? Yeah, decay, decay, no. Now, remember, not everything was born by repetition. Most of them you could find with repetition. All right? Uh, it was two or three of them that were key words, even though they were standalone. All right? I, I did say that much. I knew I was, I'm not too crazy. A little bit crazy, but not too crazy. Okay, well, pray for me. All right? Um, yes. Right? The we's and the hours and all that, right? Uh, are there any except for uh, we? You got a couple of we's there. Um, and I mean, technically speaking, I would give it to you because it would violate what I talked about on Sunday. I mean, it's important, but um, it's, it was important for a different reason. All right, and I'll say it like that: it was important for a different reason. All right, the we we to- we covered on Sunday the, the tone shift. Right, these words are important. Uh, in the context of this message that Paul is trying to convey about justification by faith alone, right? Not by works, right? And so uh, this is the process that you go through, right? As, as you look at this, and you read it over and over, you're like, wow, why is he, is Paul just being redundant? You don't know no other words? No, right? You know, he's given us this stuff uh, for a reason. Now, um, 
We did all that because I argue that this is one of the key verses in this whole passage, right? And I would really argue there's two key verses in this whole passage, but we had to get this one right or everything that comes after wouldn't make sense, right? So we've invested that much time in this one for that reason. Again, keep in mind that Paul is still talking to Peter, and you, you see the plural pronouns we and I will use all the way through verse 17. We talked about that already. But before we go on, let's make sure to state once more the big idea of the verse, right? What is it? The big idea of this verse is we are not made right before God by doing the Mosaic law, but by trusting in Jesus Christ that he did all that we could not do because the law never could make us right before God. That, that's, that's the big idea of this verse. The law did not possess the capacity in its creation to make us right before God, right? This is, this is what Paul is trying to communicate. Sis, was your hand up? Okay, all right. Now, Paul goes on and so, so do we. Notice how he begins the, the next sentence here in verse 17. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, he says. Endeavor. Endeavor means for them what it means for us to seek after, to strive after, to desire, right? This is what it means. Justified means what it meant in verse 16. Right. He says, so if we are striving right to be justified, to be made right in Christ, he says, we, too, were found to be sinners, found in this word, to be discovered, recognized, detected. Right. Has anybody been found to be a sinner? Did you find yourself to be a sinner? Right. Uh, yes. We all hopefully we've all arrived at that. Uh, even post salvation. I still recognize, I, like Romans 7, there's something in me, even when I want to do right, that, that, that man, it's a fight all the time. So I, I've detected that. If you haven't detected that, please see the people in your life that will help you detect who you really are, <laughs> right? Because all you got to do is hang around some people and they would be like, no, 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 I know you think you're cool, but, right, you got, you got this issue, right? Um, he says we are found to be sinners, right? Um, and then he asked the question, is Christ then the servant of sin? Servant here means one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, right? And, and so uh, this verse is, uh, well, let me say sin, sin we've seen before. Uh, here it means a, a power exercising dominion, in this case, over Jesus, right? Sin as a principle in power, all right? So it's, it's, it's anthropomorphized here. It's, pre it's presented uh, as this impersonal force or power over Jesus. Is Christ become the servant of sin, right? This is what Paul asked based on, again, the thinking that we've struck, we've striven, strove, what's the proper word? Strived real hard, you know, after being justified and we found something out that it didn't work, this, this striving and so, but we, you know, we follow Christ, you know, and, and, and it's finding Christ. We abandoned the law, but now I'm still dealing with stuff. And so, wait a minute now, did Jesus, uh, you know, um, bring us over here like the, like the children of Israel said for Moses? Did he bring us all the way over here and, and, it, and it's no good? And now I've really abandoned the law, which demonstrates to me that, that I'm, I'm awful, right? Is this, is this what's going on now? This particular verse, this is a hard verse. Pastor Sonny said when he started this series that there are elements of this 
this, this, this text that are very hard to translate and, and figure out. And I think this is one of them, right? It's an understandably difficult verse to fully understand unless you keep the larger context in view, right? And so I want to let you guys know, as we go through Galatians, it's going to be important that y'all be at a two-step, right? Uh, you, you know, because you got to dance, get in real close, which is what we do in the Bible study context. We get real close. I'm pulling out the microscope, the magnifying glass, so we can see up close the details of this thing. And then we got to back up so we don't forget the picture we were looking at. All right? Your hand up, Ange? Okay. All right, because you, you had it literally like that. Okay, all right, all right, all right. You keep balancing. It was a good job, right? Now, uh, so this larger context, what is it? Paul has just made the assertion that we cannot be justified by keeping the law. But this verse says, what if in our efforts to be made right with God through Christ, we were still discovered to be sinners? Wouldn't this make Jesus an agent of sin since he would be encouraging people to walk away from a law that was supposed to make them righteous but couldn't? God forbid. Because that would mean Jesus put us in a trick bag. Right? You know, Jesus put us in a catch-22. The law can't do it, but over here, you know, nothing else can do it. He would say later, um, he said in Corinthians, if this, if this thing is not true, resurrection is not true, and all this stuff about Jesus is not true, we are of all men, all people, most miserable. Yeah, and if you never understood why we're most miserable, because we literally are caught. The law couldn't save us, and we knew it. We knew it by virtue of what we read in the scriptures, and we knew it by our own experience. Right? No matter how good, no matter how hard I try to be good, there's something in me that's broken, and I know it. So I can't do the law. The law demands perfection. I can't be perfect. I know it already. Man, and Jesus, you brought me over here, told me all that stuff, and that works out not to be true? Um, now we got to go see our therapist. We got to start smoking and drinking. We might as well forget the whole church thing. Spend your Sundays doing something else and just do you, right? That would be the proper conclusion if it was true. But Paul, instead of saying all that I just said, two words, God forbid. Absolutely not. Certainly not. All right. Jesus certainly didn't put you in a trick bag, right? This is exactly what he's saying here. Now, the obvious question is why is that, why is what Paul says true, right? I, I don't want you ever to be this Christian that just believes because you believe, because believing because you believe is no way to believe, right? It, it's, it's not, all right? And you'll have people attack you, uh, your, your, your faith, and, and God help you if you're saying, well, I just believe. It's got to be deeper than that, right? We're in trouble if it's just the force of my faith. You might as well hop out of real life get into a Star Wars movie and start trying to exercise the force, right? Because that's, that's literally what we would be doing if it's just the force of my faith, if you if would, right? So, so how can we know that what Paul says is true? Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, states that we should entertain such a thought of Christ or of his doctrine that hereby he should direct us into a way of justification that is defective and ineffectual and leave those who embrace it still unjustified, or that would give the least encouragement to sins and sinners, this would be very dishonorable to Christ, and it would be very injurious to them also. To which I say, thanks for your thoughts on that, Matt, but you didn't answer the question. 
right? That was some really wonderful words that Matthew Henry said, which is why I put them in there. It was, it was flowery. It was true, but it didn't answer the question, right? We want to make sure we answer the question, right? Why is what Paul says true is what we got to know, right? Why should I or we believe it? And we're going to have to keep reading to find out Paul's final answer. But as we go on to the next verse, he does share his thinking on the matter. Go on to verse 18. You guys with me? He says in verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. The word rebuild here means to build upon a foundation laid by others. Right? Um, to tear down literally means to destroy or to demolish. So what has Paul done now? Remember what Paul's done. Paul has literally thrown away everything that he stood for formerly. So that, that's the tearing down. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, so he's a card-carrying member of the Pharisees' guild, came in, ripped up his car. I'm out, fellas. Right, right, here's the keys to the club. I'm not playing with y'all no more, right, right? You know, went, went to the synagogue, you turned in, you know, his gear and, and all of that. Here's the uniform. I'm not on the team no more, right? Ripped the contract up. So Paul has literally demolished his life, right? And, and so, you know, all because he had a recognition about what the law is. So he says, I, how do you go back? Hey, hey, yo, yo, can you, you, you still got the card? Can, can I get some tape? Can I, can I put it back together? Can, you still got the uniform. You, get, oh, you, you, get, you know, you ever do something and you wish you hadn't done it and you be trying to go back to fix it and you can't fix it, right? So he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, now keep this in mind, I prove, I, I show, I establish, I exhibit that I'm a lawbreaker. So, so catch the thinking. I left the law because I, I, I figured out it was insufficient. I went over here to Christ. And if you think that that's messed up, then I try to go back to the law. But what does that prove? That proves that I was a tra I've already transgressed the law when I left the law, and now I'm back to try to recapture the law because I thought something was wrong over here, but I know the law's still bad anyway because it can't do what I knew it couldn't do when I left the law, right? Hopefully, me saying it like this is stirring your brains like, hold on, hold on, I can't keep up with all you saying. And, and, it, and that's purposeful. I don't want you to understand because it's not understandable, right? This is what Paul is trying to convince us of, that to leave Christ, the certainty that is Christ, and try to go back to the law makes you wacky. And hopefully I've illustrated in nice flowery words the wackiness of that process. Is anybody feeling like they wacky right now? Now, Great. All right, mission accomplished. So you ain't got to send me no emails. I didn't really get that. I know, right? Because... Going back to the law is a wacky process, right? We don't do that, right? He goes into verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. Again, law here, speaking of the Mosaic law, right? He says, I died, right? What do you, what do you mean, Paul? This word died here, it means to become wholly alienated from a thing, right, right? Uh, you know, freed from all connection with it. Some of you guys, uh, this is going to show my carnality, so I don't mean to. You've seen The Matrix. Yeah. Okay, so y'all carnals who great. We're in good company, right? Uh, red pill, blue pill, right? So, so you take the blue pill, all of a sudden you see the world for the way it really is. That I'm a slave in this system, stuck. 
And you know, and somebody's got to free me. Somebody external to myself has to come in and free me from this thing that previously I didn't even know I was a slave to it, right? And, and so Paul says, I died to the law. It's like Neo getting snatched out of the matrix. The matrix no longer has that same bind over him. He's not seeing people and thinking as people, right? Now he can walk around in the matrix and know that everything he's seeing is illusion. It's unreal, right? You, you know, and as believers, we had to make sure that we too walk around in the world. We see it, but we know, at least we better know, right? Because it'd be, it'd be a real shame to forget that you knew it was all illusion, smoke and mirrors, right? Put there by the enemy, right? You know, all the stuff that we really thought was going to get us there, you know, money and fame and, 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 and influence and all the other stuff, right? You know, but, but I got snatched out the matrix. So I know it was just the trick and trap of the enemy, right? You, you know, so he says, I died to the law because there's people walking around thinking that if I just keep working hard at the law, me and God will be good. Illusion, right? God never said it. It was never intended that way, how you came up with it, you know, because you wanted to add human effort to divine principle. It was always supposed to be that you would realize one day that this is, I can't do this, and you were supposed to say, God, I can't do it. And then he was going to say, aha, now you're ready. Come see me. I got something for you. I know you couldn't do it. I gave you this perfect law that you couldn't measure up to. To, to help you be ready to receive the one who could measure up to it, who would deliver you from the grip of the law, right? This is what he was saying all along, right? He says, I died to the law that I might live to Christ. This word live, it means to devote or consecrate life to one, right? And so the law no longer has its grip on me, its influence on me. I'm giving myself wholly to the influence, the grip of another, right? And so, and I will pause here for a minute because you might be thinking, well, is there some happy medium where I'm not stuck with law and I'm not living for Christ? I'm just living for me. No, thank you for asking. It's either I'm over here or I'm over here. No middle ground. Right? It's, 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 it's all or nothing is what we got. You guys with me? So, so Paul recognized or was taught an insufficiency in the law that changed everything for him. So extensive was this change that he renounced any identification with it where he once held it as a badge of honor and based his life on it. Ever hold something as a badge of honor and base your life on it only to discover later that it was that, that was foolishness, uh, the utter foolishness, madness even, right? This is what Paul did. And as we go into the next verse, he shares the scope of his and hopefully our identification with Christ. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Quick observational exercise. What's the key word in this verse? There you go, right? If you read it, and you'll hear it over and over. Live, 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 life, live, live, 
right, right, you, you know. So, so, so we get what's, what's leaping out of this verse is living life, right? So what are, what are you saying, Paul? First of all, he says, I've been crucified, right? It's not literally, but what it literally means is to, it, it, it literally means crucify with, right? But here Paul is signifying that by the death of Christ upon the cross, I have become utterly estranged from, dead to, my former habit of, of feeling and action. So let me make sure I, I paint the right picture. Because I think sometimes we like to think, make things a little complicated. When you guys say, if you say, you did not necessarily lose your taste for certain sins. Now there are people who, tell, who have great testimonies. I was a wino, a weed head, I was a coke head. I got saved in a motel one night and all of a sudden, I lost my taste for alcohol, weed, cocaine. Bam! You know, God did a miraculous miracle. Praise God for you. I grew up in a family full of hustlers. Right? My sweet mama taught me how to sneak in at the movies. That's the family we came up in, right? Grandmama ran the numbers. You know, was, used to hold gambling parties in her basement. That's the family I grew up in. So, so my whole family, we got the hustle gene. So, but when I got saved, the hustle gene didn't leave. I still, to this day, you know, let, 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 let circumstances get a little tight. I'm thinking, what, what can I do? What can I do, you know, to try to, to, to make the ends meet now? Because I've been saved a while, I got my little spiritual. I'm saying, Lord, what, what can we, first of all, Lord, you see this. That's the first thing I say, Lord, you see, Right? And I say, Lord, you know, you know me. So, so, but I, what am I doing? What I'm doing is I'm taking the old me, which is still there saying, hey, here we go. We can do our thing. And I'm coming in. I'm nailing that boy up on the cross because I'm crucified with you. So what I want to do that's still in me to this day, Pastor Flynn still want to hustle. All right. Pastor Flynn ain't forgot how to deal a deck of cards. He ain't forgot none of his old life. Not a bit of it have I forgotten how to do. Right. And so every time a situation gets not to my liking, the flesh comes over and taps me on the shoulder. You still rolling with Jesus? Yep. Yep. And I got to, in tough seasons, I got to keep answering that question. Yep. As many times I got to answer it. Right? In easy seasons, maybe I ain't got to answer it, you know, once a week, once a month, or whatever. In tough seasons, checking on the hour. You still rolling with Jesus? Yes. <laughs> right, right. You, you know, this is how it's got to be, right? And, and so I can only imagine Paul being who he was and any temptations he faced, right? I mean, he's got such a pedigree, such a, uh, a, a reputation that he could flex in a minute his old credentials and be who he was. But he said, no, no, I, I'm rolling with Jesus. I, I have not forgotten what happened on the Damascus Road. I haven't forgotten what he showed me. Right, right. I haven't forgotten what he told me. And so whatever I got to deal with, because I'm crucified with him, I have to deal with. And so this I'm crucified with Christ is not some flowery thing. Don't even think about it. If you're not feeling any of the pains of your crucifixion, then you're not being crucified. Right, right. You, you know, because he says, he didn't say I was crucified with Christ. Did you, did you catch that? He says, I am crucified with Christ. And so this is a present tense continuous thing. Right, so he's continuously putting himself up on there. He'll say it in much more uh, exclusive language later in Romans. He says, you got to mortify the flesh, mortify your members. Right, that means kill. Right, so the, the fight is real. 
in, in, in Romans 6, in Romans 8. The fight is real, right? He acknowledges the fight in Romans 7. And, and so we always got to be fighting against our own dark tendencies, whatever they happen to be. You might not have a hustle gene. Maybe you got something else. Maybe you got the angle one. Or maybe you got the one where you just go wallow in, in self-pity. You know, or you got the other one. Whatever, whatever your, you know, your thing is. If everybody got that, what the Hebrew writer calls that besetting sin. Your kryptonite. Right? This is what we got to put up on that cross along with all of the other stuff. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer. Four words in English, one word in the Greek. It simply means it cannot now be said. This is, this is a fascinating word to me, you know, because it's not that, that Paul is saying, I can't say it. He's saying it cannot be said of me. So, so this, this brings to mind, like, okay, so I got to live a life that's so transparent for the people who knew me that it can no longer be said that I was in that life. So that, that tells us our Christianity, our faith, our walk is not some private thing. All right, it, it's a public thing, right? You, you know, that we got to live in front of people. Now, that don't mean go slapping folks inside the head with your Bible, carrying your Bible and looking all pious and all that. I'm a Christian. Nah. Right, right. That's not what it means. Right, right. You, you, you be all of who God made you to be in your fullness of your personality under God. Right? You, you, you know, this is, he says, it cannot now be said, right? He says, crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, the first live. Now, I got to tell you guys, there are like five or six lives in here, three different uh, uh, definitions, right? You, you know, so the first live means to be among the living. So the crucifixion that Paul speaks of when he says, I uh, am crucified, is not a literal crucifixion. So Paul still maintains, so God does not need most of us to be martyrs. There will be some, there have been some, but most of us will not have to die, literally, for our faith, all right? He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This word, both of these are the same Greek word, but here it speaks of Christ is living and operative in me, right? So, so Christ pervades and moves me. I, I ooze Christ. Somebody squeezes me, Christ pops out. Maybe we're not at the point in our Christian journey yet where somebody squeezes me, out pops Christ. It might be squeeze me and out pops bleep, 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 right? Keep working on it, <laughs> right, right, right. You, you know, because when you get squoze or squeeze, whatever the proper way to say that is, whatever's in you is going to come out. Now the Holy Spirit will apply enough pressure to squeeze all the impurities out. Then he'll fill you so that when you get squeezed again, out comes the lemonade instead of the other stuff. Right? So don't, don't despise the process there. So, so um, but Christ who lives in me and the life, all right, the life I now live, all right, the third live here, all right, and life uh, generally speaks of lifestyle, manner of life, all that kind of stuff, right? The third live here speaks of the manner of living and acting, of morals and character, right? And so, you know, I haven't been literally crucified. Um, you, you know, Christ now resides in me and that his resonance needs to permeate my life and my being so that it can be seen, right? And, and so, it, it's, it, where is it seen? Do I get a t-shirt? No. Do I carry a Bible? Not necessarily. You know, it's seen in my morals and my character. 
All right, that, that, that's where it's seen at, right? And he says, and the life I now live, all right, the, the fourth live is the same as the third live, right, if, you, if you're keeping track there, in the, in the flesh, all right? Flesh here speaks of life on earth, that which is, so physical life, right? This is not some spooky, mystical thing. I'm sitting at home, you, you know, just meditating, and that's me living life. No, no, you got to go out, still go to Target, Walmart, still interact in the public space, still deal with knucklehead people and circumstances and all the stuff of life, right? Because after all, that's where you show your morals and your character, and that Christ is indeed living in you. We still balancing the pen, or that's a question? Oh, that was an amen. Okay, I got to really learn how to interpret your sign language over there. All right? <laughs> You do a lot with a pen, sis. All right. <laughs> right? He says, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The faith here is the same faith that we saw in verse 16. Right? Who loved me. I think this is the first time we've seen this word. All right? Who loved me. And this word loved me, uh, loved is, is agape is the noun. Uh, agapao is the verb, all right? It means to have a preference for, to wish well to, to regard the welfare of. And here it speaks of the love which led Christ in pronouncing, in procuring human salvation to undergo sufferings and death, right? So, so this is what Paul is hearkening back to, not some, uh, oh, that's so nice, Hallmark kind of love. All right, Hallmark don't make those kind of cards, Right, where somebody loves you to the point where they'll die for you or for me. Right, that, that no, matter, no matter how many R&B songs you listen to, right, right, it's, you know, where somebody extols their love and I'll go to work for you and I'll, you know, run your bath water and all that. As soon as it get too tight, run your own bath water and I quit. Right, you, you, you know, <laughs> soon, as soon as it get too tight, you know, right? But he says, you know what? Uh, this one, he loved me and he evidenced that love by giving himself up for me. Give himself for me. All one word. It literally means to give oneself up for. To give oneself to death for. Right? This, this is what Paul says about Christ. Right? Nobody else in Paul's life had ever done anything for him like that. And now the question that was asked earlier but never answered concerning why what Paul had to say was true. Alright? I hope you've been keeping track that I haven't answered that question yet. Right? Uh, I believe he answers it in the final verse. He answers it in the final verse. He says here, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This word nullify, it means to thwart the efficacy of anything, to, to make void, to frustrate, right? I mean, literally to make it of nothing, like it didn't even happen, right? This, this is what, what it means, right? He says, I, what is it that you're, that you're that, that you would be nullifying. I'd be nullifying the grace of God. Now, we've seen grace uh, over and over. Grace permeates Galatians, right? It, it is one of the, the main themes, major themes of Galatians, right? It, it speaks of that kindness by which God bestows favors even upon the ill or undeserving, right? To grant to sinners the pardon of their offenses and to accept eternal salvation through Christ. God, so, so imagine the great God of heaven is extending this thing. It's free. All you got to do is take it. And you slap his hand. That would be to nullify the grace of God. Right? This is what that, this is what that would mean, right? He, he says to, to, 
to, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness, if uh, this state of being acceptable to God, right? If it were through the law, then Christ died. And here death speaks of a violent death, right? Not a metaphorical death, an actual death, and not just a, in a rocking chair, go to sleep at 105 on the front porch death, but a violent death is what this word speaks of here, right? He says that he died for no purpose, to die without just cause, to die unnecessarily. Now, so, so, so let's be clear, and then I'll take some questions because we got a little bit of time here. I believe that Paul would wrap up his entire argument not in the wisdom of man, but in the wisdom of God who would send his son to die for us for the remission of sin and the redemption of man. So, so having said that, the question is, would this God, whom we claim to be an all-wise, all-knowing, ever-present God, send his son to death accidentally, or even worse, neglectfully, since it was the same God that instituted the law? So you got to go, this is us stepping way back, looking at big picture on the divine plan of God from before even saying, let there be, right? Because Jesus tells us, he prepared me a body before this thing even started, right? So this, this, this plan of redemption for man was before he ever said, let there be, right? So, so would this great guy who could plan this out to that degree of exacting detail be like, oh, my bad, y'all gone to Jesus. Oh, you know, you didn't even have to do that, man. You know, I forgot. I put a back door in the law, and it's, it's you know, my, my bad, son. But hey, you here now, it's no problem, right? No, no, I mean, that's, you know, throw your Bibles away, walk out, let's go shopping, let's go do whatever we do. If that's the guy we serve, it. right, right? Because that, that would be a pointless guy, right? And, and, and if we think that the law is the way, then that's exactly what we're saying, that Jesus died for nothing. Would this God not have known that this law serves some finite purpose not connected to man's righteousness and salvation? Surely this guy would have known. After all, he created the law, right, right? You, you, you know, Paul seems to have this understanding and this belief, right? Ultimately, if Paul is wrong about this, saints, if Paul is wrong about this, then he's wrong about everything. And we are still in our sins, You know, let that rest with us for a minute, right? So as you have discussions with people about Jesus plus, whatever the plus is, make sure you take it all the way back to, if you're wrong about Jesus, we're stuck. We're irredeemably, irretrievably stuck in our sins. We are of all people most miserable, right? That wraps us up. On, on this, this chapter, this side, we got good about 10 minutes left. Any questions? I know I sped through, hopefully dropped some stuff on you uh, for your consideration, but any questions uh, for the good of the order? Any, anything I can clarify? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Hold on. I just want to go back to the part when you talked about believing is not enough. And so I was kind of waiting. You said as far as believing in, you know, um, yeah, you said believing is not enough. No, I said faith. Faith is not enough. Okay, I thought you said believing. So I was waiting on the answer to what is the next step. And so I was just wondering, when you read 20, 
verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified. So are you saying that, or faith is not enough. If you said faith, if that's what you said, faith mm -hmm. is not enough. So you're saying that in verse 20, that right there would just kind of, in a nutshell, just say it, it would take you a step further because now I am crucified with Christ and I, not me that live and I mean, not him, you know. Okay, so when I, when I brought up faith earlier, it was an objective-less faith, oh. right? Which okay. means I have, I have, you have to, faith is nothing if it is not placed in something, right? So our job is to make sure our faith is deposited in the correct vessel okay. that can do something with okay. it, right? So that's not what I was talking about. Past, I mean, further on. Further okay, further on, okay. On, okay. Yeah, you said to believe is not enough. So you said, if, if you say, I believe, I, I just believe. And you say, right, okay, right, right, so right, right. So the point that I was making, so are you saying in verse 20, would that just kind of justify the belief or take your belief a step oh, further? Oh, okay, I think I got Let me say what, how, what I'm hearing and you tell me if I'm right. Okay. Okay, so you're asking me, does the, that verse illustrate our belief? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes, because I can't say I believe in Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus, and have no evidence, right? And that evidence, by the way, is not for us. We're not the jury in the deliberation room to decide whether you go to heaven or not, right? Well, you know, that's beyond our scope, right? You, you know, that Jesus is going to settle that when he comes back, you know. Okay, that one's mine. I know he was a deacon. That one's, that one's an elder, but that one ain't mine. You, you know, all, all that, right? Jesus will settle that. So, so this is not us performing for the person next to me. This is, God, I'm yours. I'm going to show you I'm yours by allowing you to live your life through me. Right? You sacrificed your life for me. I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. Right? This is, this is what true belief looks like. It's how it is illustrated in the natural world as we walk around in it. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Way in the back there. Hold on. Hey, so um, my question, I hope it's not too uh, unrelated, but um, I was wondering, do you or is there any um, biblical, I guess, difference between being born again and being saved? Or is that the same thing? I've I'm asking because I recently uh, heard a message on that. Um, and just curious. Oh, you're trying to get me in trouble. You're trying to make me <laughs> fight mean, with, your, can, with your we, pastor. We can, talk, uh, we can talk after. No, no, it's a good question. Really, yeah, it's it's a good question, really and I'm going to answer it. Okay. All right. I mean, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, John chapter 3. All right. So, you know, you make sure that's your homework for tonight. Go back and look at that. So, to be born again is to be saved. Right? So, we use those terms synonymously. However, let me make sure, in, in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, there are three tenses of salvation, right? So I have been saved, right? February 27, 1977, an, an event happened, right? I am being saved, and I will be saved, all right? In theolo theological terms, we call that justification, made right with God, happens once. Sanctification process. Where, I, where God cleans me up so I look like I belong to him, all right? Future tense, glorification, where we become perfect, all right? Perfect, perfection don't happen in this space, right? You know, actual perfection happens over here. Positional perfection happened over here. 
all right? Process towards actual happens in here, right? So that's a $2 answer. Hopefully I didn't overwhelm you with that, but I wanted to make sure that you, that you got it. We good? All right, come holler at Pastor Sonny afterwards if not. Pastor Sonny got a hand up. We got three minutes. That question kind of uh, teed up what, what I was uh, just kind of processing. So would you say that verse 20 is Paul's maybe illustration of sanctification, description or uh, illustration of sanctification? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say yes and no. I'm going to say no because it doesn't show us, um, it doesn't show us beyond the word itself. The yes part is I am being crucified. So that's the verb right there, right? You, you, you know, so I'm laying down my life, right? Um, but if I'm teaching somebody sanctification, if I'm teaching a lesson on sanctification, I want to use other verses that give us kind of a blow by blow where we see the the process a bit more spelled out. So, so maybe as a major thesis, but we haven't got to the sub points yet. Yeah, you, you know something along those and, lines. And I guess I, I didn't, I didn't mean as a like Paul's theological treatise on the subject, but just Paul seems to be pouring out his heart here in this entire letter. Yeah. Um. So he's he deals very explicitly with justification. Right. A few verses earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering at at at, at the place that he is. At the writing of this letter in his life, yeah. is he saying, like, you know, these are some things I've worked out? And, and I guess to even to Linda's question, just some more clarity. Um, so the idea of, like, what saves us in our spirit? Is it simply belief or is it acting on that belief? Mm. As we've just clarified, saving of the spirit, past tense, for those of us who are born again, saving of the soul, present tense, James says, receiving the word of God um, with meekness, able to save the soul. Right, right. Or saving of the body, glorification in the future. So specifically, saving of the spirit, past tense. Gotcha. Um, Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, all right. I understand everything you said. I'm still trying to get to the... Uh, so, <laughs> so what you're asking me, just for does this verse show us that middle part of your process? Well, yeah, and I guess specifically for, for, to Linda's question, just want to make sure like what we're saying, how am I saved in my spirit? Is it believing or do I have to do anything else to be saved? Well, Jesus said, no, I'm going to say no based on what, what the scriptures say. And, you know, because as soon as you start adding anything else... Beyond faith, the, the act of faith in Christ, act and object. Got to have act right, you got to have object right, right? You, you know, so faith in Christ saves you, right? By, by Christ's own words, thief on the cross, right? You, you, you know, now, I guess God in his wisdom knows that we humans have trouble with those moments and he's got to deal with us longitudinally. Through our life. So he doesn't just save us. We was qualified to go to heaven day one of salvation. And I'm, you know, qualified, fully qualified. I had to do nothing else. To go to heaven. Right? Need a lot to kind of walk around on earth, though. 
don't know if we were qualified to walk around on earth and do the, did to live life, live Christ's life. Right? We were, we, we, we just did, we didn't know enough. We weren't the right stuff yet. So he begins to make us the right stuff to be adequate representations of him. Because that's what he wants. He wants us all to be uh, little representations of Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We now are his hands and feet, his mouth. Right? This is, this is the job. And so the question always has to be, how good a job am I doing or living the life that Christ wants me to live for him? Right? You know, that, that has to be it. Now, Pastor Sonny used up all the three minutes that we have left uh, there. Uh, the the, web, the uh, email address, gotbiblequestions at detroitchurch.com. All right? Um, I pray God says something to you tonight. Anybody? Uh, let's give the Lord a hand clap praise. I, I will assume that the Holy Spirit did his work. Amen, amen. All right, so we're going to... Uh, uh, now, listen, I, I need to do a, uh, two things I need to do, and I'm going to let you go. One, a soft rebuke. All right, some of y'all walked out of here last week and did not sign in. That's, that's, a, that's a sin. All right, I, I need, we need y'all to sign in. Meg is working way too hard, so, so sign in and bring some friends. The second thing I want to say, since I see my sister back there, a clarification from three weeks ago. You ask about, you ask about uh, the church. And I said the use of the church uh, first mentioned in Antioch. I think you were making a statement, uh, Derek, and you were correct. I talked about ecclesia, all right, being first used right there. I was wrong on that one. There is uh, in the culture, I said it wasn't prevalent in the culture is what I said. I was wrong about that. They, it, wasn't, it had no spiritual context in the culture. It had a civil context. So the ecclesia prior to Christ's Redefining the ecclesia was like us going to city council. That, that's, that's, that's the way it would have been used prior to Jesus saying, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he redefined the use of it. And in the rest of the New Testament, we never see, I believe, that civil use of it again. So I've been waiting to see you uh, to, to, uh, to give that, guys, to give that to you. Now, uh, if everybody has signed in, uh, we're going to pray our way out, and then the Lord willing, we'll see you right back here next week. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name. God, we thank you. We thank you for this word. It was a heavy and deep word. God, I pray that you would impress upon each of us as your people, Lord, the necessity of being crucified with you daily. Lord, dying daily is the way Paul will say it in Romans, God, that we would die daily, uh, Lord, to ourselves, and that we would live daily for you. I pray, God, that when we think we're weak, that we will remember that you are strong and that you uh, exercise your strength through and in our weakness, oh God. And so I pray that you will bless each one under the sound of my voice on today. Oh Lord, today we'll live lives that are pleasing, acceptable, favorable in your sight. And Lord, when we blow it, I pray, God, that we wouldn't run from you, that we would run to you for additional strength, that we would stay close to you, God, knowing that you don't spurn us because of our frailties. You uh, lift us up and you make us even newer. Uh, so we just bless your name now. Uh, Lord, we ask all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.